Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of Who Do You Think You Are? An exploration into how our thoughts, beliefs, and feelings create our reality. My name is Lastia Kahoot, and I'm your host. I'm joined by my co-host on this show and in life, Glenn Sheridan. Every episode, we're joined by a special guest who inspires us to consider not only what we think, but how we think, and how that thinking impacts our life experience. It's time to get this conscious conversation started as we ask today's guest, who do you think you are? Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Who Do You Think You Are? My name is Lassia. I am your host. And once again, I am here with my co-host on this show and in life, Mahoney Honey Bunch, Glenn Sheridan. Good morning. Good day. Hello, all. <laughs> And today we have another super special guest, someone that I have been looking forward to having an actual conversation with for a couple of years now, because this person I know and actually am meeting for the first time today, but we have had a few email conversations and have had the opportunity to sort of chat in the Zoom chat box during some um, practitioner meetings through the Global Truth Center Los Angeles. So this individual is another connection from the Global Truth Center Los Angeles, this super amazing community that Glenn and I are both immersed in uh, virtually from LA, or like we're here, but they're in LA. And, um, and this person is actually, I was hoping to be in class with him this last year for this advanced consciousness studies class that I'm taking, which I have talked about pretty much every single episode we've had since September. Um, but that did not happen. So I'm so excited that we're, we get to have a conversation with him today. So so he is one of my favorite people to see on stage when he takes over for Dr. James Mellon at the Global Truth Center. I am just taken in by his sort of charismatic chill. He's like super relaxed and calm and has this beautiful energy about him. He, he ends up just being able to weave in these stories and anecdotes and spirituality with a nice splash of Abraham Hicks in there just to kind of like get Dr. James, you know, sort of riled up a little bit. And, um, and his, his demeanor and his perspective, which I have only sort of experienced from afar, have just always find, kind of been just really, really intriguing to me and I've been really curious about. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk about um, pretty much anything that comes up today, because as you folks know, this conversation is totally organic and spontaneous. So our guest today has won two Emmy Awards and two Golden Globe Awards for his work as a writer producer on the HBO miniseries Band of Brothers and From the Earth to the Moon. Um, he's worked with executive producer Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. He has sold original series pitches to the broadcast networks, worked on the writing staff of primetime drama series, and has written feature screenplays for Universal, HBO, TNT, and Playtone. He is also a teacher at UCLA Extension's Writers Program and National University's MFA Program in Professional Screenwriting. He has also been called one of the top 10 most influential screenwriting bloggers for his his flying wrestler site. He also has a book called The Idea, which is about to be launched into an e-course. And I know we're going to hear more about that in the conversation that's about to come. And as I sort of already mentioned, he is an Abraham Hicks fan. Um, he also comes from a very musical family. His, his wife, he, I think all of his kids play together. And there's just so much more to learn about this, this amazing individual who is here with us today. So... 
knowing that that is just a splash in the pan, um, a drop in the bucket of what, what you are all about, Mr. Eric Bork, please tell us, who do you think you are? I am not what I appear to be. I am more than I appear to be, and I'm more than what I think I am. I am not what I appear to be. I am more than what I appear to be. Was that it? And I'm not who I think I am. And I am not who I think I am. I had to write that down because I really, really like that. <laughs> it's a great way to start off the conversation. Um, I'm just going to go with uh, foundational beliefs, or as Dr. James likes to say, AEPs, already established premises. And this is something that we talked about in class on Thursday night once again. And once again, he asked everybody in the class, what are foundational AEP or already established premise or what I like to call life belief is. And so everybody offered up um, their beliefs and they range just all over the map. And, and it was really amazing to hear what everybody had to say. And when I came up with mine, I thought about it for a minute and thought, yep, the one that I've been going with for the last you know few months is, is definitely still what holds. And for me, it is, there is always more and I am always more than. And so for me, some of what you said kind of ties into that because the way that I see myself and and it's sort of like, you know, there's a, you know, this is who I know myself to be. And then there's who I think that I am. Um, and, and those two, even though they can kind of come from the same place, because our minds are a filter, are a lens, translate and, and even extrapolate sort of thing, that who we know ourselves to be can show up differently based on who we think we are. And so thank you for saying that I am not who I think I am, because that does then say that behind the thinking, there's just something else. There's something more. There's, you know, and, and for me, I believe there's always more. There's always more to discover, to learn, to expand into, to be expanded by, to, to emerge as, and, and that no matter what's going on, no matter what I think is happening, you know, to me, in front of me, that I'm experiencing, whatever, there's always, always, always so much more. So, I, th I, I feel like there's, you know, some common ground there. Well, first of all, let me say thank you guys for having me. And thank you for that very warm introduction. It's a very nice way to start the weekend um, with that. Um, I, uh, I know my answer was kind of in a negative because it's like, I don't, I'm not what I think I am. I'm more than I seem to be. I'm not what I seem to be. And it's because I can't wrap my human brain around what I really am. I don't know what I really am really, um, but I've been studying spiritual um, material for long enough to at least intellectually believe there is a lot more going on than what I can see with my senses, perceive with my senses or my human level thinking. That doesn't mean I'm not caught up in what I see with my senses and my human level thinking 99.9% .9 of the time. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But I have this inkling of, wait a minute, that's not the whole picture. And I don't have to be led around by all of that stuff uh, and reactive to circumstances all the time, even though I still default to doing that. I mean, I've been in, in this spiritual 
you know, this particular teaching that we have at the Global Truth Center that I've studied at other centers before and through other places for 25 years, probably or more. And yet I still find that the entrenched premises that I picked up in my childhood and so forth, and I've been to therapy as well, are still, still do tend to come up and be operative as defaults unless I am consciously choosing to look beyond them. And that takes energy, effort, focus, commitment, time. And I spend some time every day doing it, but mm -hmm. I still feel very much like a neophyte and a student, despite how long I've been doing that. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can relate to the, the neophyte part of it. I mean, especially being in this class that I've been in uh, since September, which is, I think, half ministers. And everyone in that class has been in some form of spiritual teaching, study, you know, immersed in some kind of philosophy or philosophies, whether it's the science of mind and spirit, whether it's Abraham Hicks, whether it's Joe Dispenza or unity, or, you know, there's like Buddhism, there's so much other stuff, you know, that the people are coming to the table with, but it's been like way longer than, than I have been, because for me, I feel like really it was, it was sort of five years ago that, um, that really kind of that was the that was the delineating point for me when we walked into the Center for Spiritual Living in Toronto while we were still living in Toronto. And even though I had been there about a year or a year and a half before, when there was a different minister and I was completely different and thought, okay, this is interesting, but it's not for me. When we walked in five years ago and experienced the opening meditation, then heard the opening power five minute power talk by the practitioner of the day, and then heard Reverend Jonathan Zenz's uh, talk, never mind live music throughout, you know, and then finding out that every week it was a different live show as far as the music went every time like no two songs were the same maybe you know a few months down the road you might hear one or two kind of you know come come up again but it was always different that aliveness that vitality and and what was being talked about for me that was the day that I sort of that I just kind of realized oh my gosh this 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 is what I have been not sort of waiting for, but kind of waiting for, because it, it woke something up in me. It, it activated something in me beyond inspiration, beyond, um, beyond what, what religion and, you know, more religion than spirituality had meant to me growing up, Ukrainian Catholic. And then at some point thinking, no, now I'm, I'm atheist. And then I'm like, well, now I'm agnostic and, you know, I'm not really sure. But this idea that, that, especially after being in this class now, where what, what we experience, you know, like this, this drink that I'm drinking, this show that we're participating in right now, you know, like seeing Glenn, seeing me, seeing Eric on screen on a computer that I can touch, you know, that this is some reality that not only I am sort of like plunked into, but that you and Glenn and everyone watching this later is having the same experience that I'm experiencing, that that's not actually what's going on, that, that each of us has our own reality that we are experiencing, that there is a different perspective that we're all um, sort of, you know, seeing through and that, that behind that, like what, what is kind of coming through to sort of 
be formed as that perspective, as this experience that each of us is having individually and collectively, that it's also changing from moment to moment to moment to moment to moment, that there's no actual continuity taking place and that all of it behind is something called consciousness or energy or some, you know, whatever it is you want, the quantum field, whatever you want to sort of, you know, ascribe to, to the essence, the activity, the energetic activity of everyone and everything, that that's what's happening. That's what this conversation that we keep having from week to week to week to week to week in this advanced consciousness studies class is all about. And, and still it's like, what is consciousness? What is even energy? What is spirit? What is source? What is it? Um, and, and to try and come up with language and even symbology or metaphors to convey what that feels like for, for each of us, what it means for each of us, it's totally fascinating and sort of, you know, mind aching and stretching and pulling all at the same time because we're grasping at words and ideas to illustrate this thing, you know, or experience or activity that just seems right now ineffable. So I don't know if there's a question in there, but, but would, uh, would you like to sort of comment, I guess, on what you feel is for you, what's, what's consciousness or what's behind the, you know, the, I am not what I appear to be, what's behind the appearance and, and, or, you know, what's the, what's the more part for you, Eric? Well, um, it's just what I've learned from others, you know, uh, uh, and to me, the Abraham Hicks teaching has been the clearest and most helpful. I find it to overlap, you know, you know, almost completely with science of mind and unity and some of these other things you've talked about. Uh, all of which I've dabbled in, but to me, what what Abraham says is is that you know there's we all have an inner being, and that inner being is non-physical, and so even when we talk about qu the quantum field or or, or the quantum uh, you know the the energy within the quantum mechanics, whatever, even all of that is physical, and so I kind of step back from the physical completely, and um, and think about it in terms of there's a non-physical me that's greater than the physical human me that that's why I say I can't fully understand or grasp it with my human mind, but that has to be true. And I'm the other thing that's informed me a lot is just reading about near death experiences and the commonalities of what people go through and a little bit reincarnation to uh, stories where it just seems like it's pretty obvious. There's something that lives on beyond this body, even based on those anecdotal stories. Um, and, um, and Abraham has a good explanation for it, uh, which is that we each have, we each consist of something. We don't even have to understand exactly what it is. It's mm -hmm. just to know that we're all connected to that source uh, or, or we are all, um, you know, spiritual beings. And that is the power that we all have. And the more that we can know that, even if we don't fully understand it and live from that, knowing the better things seem to go. So here's, here's my question. And just also a comment, like when, when we're talking about quantum physics and we're talking about the, the quantum field, um, when we've been talking about it in class, especially because of this book by Paul Levy, the quantum revelation that we've been reading for the past few months, 
we're talking about potentiality, just, just that there is no thing, that there's nothing that is actually an it, that everything is either possible um, and that it's by our choosing and by focusing our attention that we then experience the, the actualized version, if you will, of that possibility. But that there's no actual, even, even what we call matter, that, that when you like go deep down and sort of like keep digging in and discover down to like the smallest sort of thing, there's just space. And, and in that space is this activity that is always, always ongoing. So, so that's, that's what we're talking about. So not, so it sort of different from what you said about, you know, it being about physical stuff. Um, but what I wanted to ask was that when you talk about Abraham Hicks saying that there is, um, you know, a non-physical um, being or, or me or something like that, does that mean you know, like in science of mind, and especially with Dr. James, he talks, he just says, I am God. And, and in this class, you know, we are, it's not that we are of source, that there, there is something in us, um, that, that we are it. We, you know, each and every individual is the allness of whatever's going on, showing up as that individualized expression um, in that moment, which changes every single moment. So is that the same kind of thing that Abraham Hicks talks about? Or is there like an ultimate kind of source that that exists that we're all sort of drawing from or how it, is, it, I mean, is it different? I, I think there's an ultimate source we're all drawing from that the source is not limited by its creation or individualizations. And so, um, if that's what you mean. I mean, I, I don't think that's what you mean, but it sounded like you were saying is source energy um, only present in the physical individualizations of it that we see, or is there something more beyond that as well? Right? Is that kind of your question? It's, it, well, okay. It's, um, I guess what I'm getting to is, is there in, in what you believe and what you think is, is there oneness is, is oneness. Is that something that you subscribe to? And, For sure. And, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, but it's one energy that's permeates everything. And yeah, I think I am God is in kind of another way of saying yeah source energy and physical bodies is how it puts it. Okay. So source energy in a physical body, but we are first and foremost source energy, which is a non-physical spiritual yeah thing yeah that is behind everything so that's why i say i think the overlap is basically a hundred percent between the two <laughs> ways of talking about it just different ways of talking about it right yep yep and different different ways will resonate with uh with different people i mean glenn i have heard some abraham hicks stuff and i have read a couple of books glenn resonates so much more with abraham hicks than than i do and i think you know for me it just comes down to to the language sometimes, or just, you know, this is, this is, this is what works for me. So Honey Bunch, do you want to chime in here with anything? Cause I can kind of see you looking up to the right thinking. Yeah. I'm, <clears throat> I'm on board with uh, what's being said generally. So I, it struck me there was that um, like I recently came across this idea that the world of matter is 
it, it's still it's a process, right? It's not it's not static objects that happen to be moving. Like it's overall, it's a process that is just ongoing, unfolding, or whatever. But as you're speaking, I think something, Eric, it this idea came to me that um, the the world of matter is like a language to describe the the sort like the the source it's it's an expression of this source that somehow is unfolding in these infinite ways through each each being that exists and through we'll say through consciousness but we we don't really know how to measure all consciousness because again measuring is we're back in the physical world of physical form again but um yeah, so I just, it struck me that, yeah, maybe it's just, it's just a language so that we can use, we can, we can anchor ourselves in something in perception of this ordinarily, um, infinitely, just, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous trying to describe the source thing, because it's, it's just, it's everything, obviously, so how do you limit that? There's no point, you know, so even this idea then in, in the quantum revelation book and Paul Levy's thing about, um, you know, the wave and particle idea, <clears throat> it's a simplification of that over overall process going on all the time. There's no time, etc. cetera, but um, it's all wave. And then you, through focusing on what, you choose to experience it becomes particle. So that that just means it goes into um, temporary. It it goes into a, a, a um, an expression that can be grasped and and then experienced, and then it fl flows again back into wave, right? So, but yeah, I just think that this is going to be an ongoing. Um, never ending thing like Abraham Hicks says, you know, you, you never get it right and you never get it done in terms of any experience. So even you when you get, get a good fix, not you never get it right. You can't get it wrong. You can't get it wrong. Okay. Get it done. You said you never get it right, which I know you, you probably okay. were. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds similar, yeah. but I, my memory is that you can't get it wrong, which is a little more positive than you never yeah. get it. Right. <laughs> That's true. Thank you for correcting that. Um, yeah. So, you know, like even if you just keep experiencing the same, um, um, you go through an experience of a relationship or, a, or a, 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 a teaching that you're really into, it's still always different each time you do it because you're you've been changed by your prior um, exposure to that that um, desired um, experience. So. Yeah. Anyway, but I just think that I like that idea that it, you know, it, if you look at all of this as just, it's just language because otherwise without, without language, it's all form. It, it goes back into the, well, we're just in this big blob that is exquisitely wonderful, but we lose the individual, um, um, the joy of experiencing from an individual standpoint. And I know, um, that's something that, like some of the communities I'm, I'm involved with, 
um, they really, they don't like this idea that, oh, uh, the oneness thing can get a little bit, uh, it's a little bit sort of uh, new agey, woo woo thing where like you just lose yourself because you lose your identity because you, you, you're, you're giving yourself up and letting someone else sort of, or let, let everything happen to you. Um, there's, there's something that's a little bit weird about that. And I kind of agree with that, that, um, concern that you know if you if you just float all the time then there may be I, like i'm not sure what the the benefit of, of the experience is because you're you're just like you're like a cloud you know you're not you're not experiencing being you know the rain in the cloud that becomes the water that 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 um nourishes the the field that you know up comes the plants and all that like you're there's something a little bit um, not nice about the, the 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 new age kind of thing in general. But anyway, I'm not slamming new age. I'm just saying there's there's something amiss there. So I really appreciate the idea of like being an individual, experiencing what I experience, loving who I love, making my errors and mistakes, growing, learning from them, and then it all feeds back into this source idea. So. So, Honey Bunch, um, what, I'm not sure how to, what, what the question is, but I, you've talked about this before, this sort of, you know, apprehension about, about oneness. And, and I guess for me, I'll just, I'll talk about, you know, what, what it is for me, for me, knowing that I, and, and just like really, really having this land and sink in and really become a part of my life experience that I am interconnected with everyone and everything and not just with that that there's no end to me and beginning of someone or something um the 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 couple of chapters that we read in the book um not this past week but the week before Eric do you know do you know the band the Smiths I do. Okay, so the um, the song um, "How Soon Is Now," mm -hmm. which um, <laughs> when I wrote my thought paper about it and looked up when it was written, um, what was it like thirty some almost forty years ago or something like that? Jeez. Anyway, um, so so it's it starts out, and I I, I never actually looked at the lyrics because I'm someone who or not because I'm someone who hears music before I hear the lyrics. And I could hear and like listen to a song for ages and not know what they're singing about because I hear the music and not the words. <clears throat> anyway, but when I would hear that song that opens up with I am the sun and the air, then it's like, I'm pretty sure they're saying I am the sun as in like, you know, familial relation and the air as in heir to the, you know, kingdom throne, whatever sort of thing. But I would also hear I am the sun, like the sun in the sky, and I am the air, you know, that is around me. And so when we were reading these chapters in the book where the, he, Levy was talking about how there is no end, like if you really sort of go, you know, deep, 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 there's no, no, no end to me and the air around me, you know, to the, to the, the leaf on the trees. Um, to the sun rays that are, you know, coming down onto the trees that, you know, then go back to the sun that ultimately 
with all of this, not only are we sort of sharing, you know, time and space and warmth and light with the sun, but ultimately we are the sun. And so when I, when I, when I heard that, when I read that, I just thought that to me is so empowering. That to me is, is so, you know, that idea of oneness that when I look at, you know, a tree, when I look at a mountain, when I feel the, the warmth of the sun on my skin, when I look at our cat, uh, you know, my daughter, when, you know, sometimes it's, it's a little more challenging when I'm looking like, you know, at my actual laptop or something like that, but that, that all of it is one thing and all of it is different interpretations and expressions of this one thing. To me, that oneness, that's, very empowering and very activating, very humbling. And, and so when I was, when I was hearing this song again in my head, you know, I am the sun, I am the air. Um, oh, honey bunch, help me out with the lyrics. I, of the shyness that is criminally, criminally vulgar. vulgar. Yeah. Of the shyness that is criminally vulgar. I am the sun and the air of nothing in particular. All of a sudden those lyrics meant something completely different to me where, you know, not only what, not was it about what Morrissey, you know, and, and Johnny Marr were writing about, about sort of the, um, just being dealt like a crappy hand by life and, you know, no jobs and no money. And, and that, you know, England was just like a really sucky place to be at the time, but that ultimately, you know, throughout the song comes up this idea of that, you can rise above this, you can rise above the, the hand that life has dealt you. And, and really there's no better time to sort of do it than, than now. But when I was listening to, you know, I am the sun, I am the air of a shyness that is criminally vulgar, um, of nothing, of no thing in particular, for me, it just kind of like, all of a sudden the words turned into, you know, I am everything. I am everything. I'm all of it right now. There's no end to me, no beginning to it. It is all intertwined, interconnected, inter, intertwingled. And, um, and that shyness, you know, that is criminally vulgar, it's almost like not, not opening up and not embracing and embodying that allness, that, that sun and air, that oneness, that essence that, you know, that we all are. And it's just like, it's a, it's a crime almost not to do so. And, and that in the end, you know, it's allness and it's no thingness because in the end, like, it's just, it's all energy, it's all consciousness. And so there was that complete sort of, you know, which is not what they wrote, but that's like what the words ended up meaning to me, you know, as I was reading this stuff in the book. And, and so for me, that's, that's the power of oneness. That's that, that it just, it, it, it woke me up, you know, where, whereas before that it was just sort of like life is happening to me, you know, life is happening to me. And yeah, there's some stuff that I can control, but ultimately, you know, it is what it is and that's it. But oneness it's like I get to choose I am choosing all the time I get to choose what I put my attention on how I spend my time my energy what I'm focusing on and all of that you know ends up being my life you know and I'm I'm creating all of it Um, which is which is not to say that you know like Eric mentioned earlier that there isn't stuff that you know, we, that I don't get caught up in. Um, but it's a constant practice of just coming back to, 
this is what I choose. This is what I'm choosing, you know, and I'm choosing from that allness, from that no thingness, because I can. Any thoughts? <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> um, I don't know. You're, <laughs> I think we backed Eric into a corner here. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll lighten it up and just say that. I, mean, I don't know that I have anything to add. I think it's very well stated. Okay. <laughs> it, in, a, in a pithy way, it, that was my generation's uh, purple haze. Um, excuse me while I kiss this guy. It's like, was it this guy or this guy? You just get down that rabbit hole for a while. Um, uh -huh. No, I, I just, I like even like, so I, I'm on a, I'm part of a unity church here in Victoria and we've expanded into Vancouver Island. So we've actually, we, we've become more one, right? Because we've, we've expanded, we've um, dissolved our church locally to embrace an island wide um, community. So we're coming, we're bringing other people in from other parts of the island uh, to what was previously three unity churches. So, um, and, and everyone's very, well, m most people are very excited about it and, and we've, we're moving forward and it's really cool to have this new community and meet people through zoom. And eventually we'll be driving a little bit and, and meeting up in person. Um, and, you know, like the word unity is, is it does mean oneness, but it's also, there's the aspect of it as well, but it's, it's each of us recognizing our, our oneness, our community. Right. And so it's both at the same time, you know, which is great. And, and, um, and, and remembering, remembering that that's going on all the time um, is, is the trick, you know, that it, it's, it's just sort of, you, you practice and you practice and you practice and you get better and you recognize that, that uh, all that's going on is my own perception of my beliefs and my thoughts and my feelings and definitely my expectations. What, what is unfolding is what I'm anticipating to happen based on what I believe about me. Um, and that's, and for me, it, like that's, and that's only my beliefs. So, um, I don't get to do yours or yours and I don't, I don't get to experience what it's like to be Morrissey today or 30 odd years ago when he wrote the song. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know why I went down this weird rabbit hole with this thing, but it's, it's amazing. Like, because even in, like in the film world, you know, you, there are so many examples recently of, trying to describe these ideas in film, which I think is very admirable that people do do that. Like films like Interstellar, you know, you're dealing with like time doesn't exist and, you know, love is like the, the core of it all. Um, it, it's, it's really cool that that goes on and the arts kind of keeps pushing out examples of, you know, let's try um, a different way of, of looking at this 
and seeing if we can see it from a different angle and show something a little bit more um, emotion or love or heart based than, than kind of straightforward, rational, you know, because you deal with time and space in a, in a, in a movie or, or TV show, I guess. Um, is that something you, you, for example, that you, you've noticed in the last little while with these certain movies? I mean, it, it, it tends to be about, you know, <clears throat> creatures from other, other worlds or dimensions. That's starting to happen in, in film a little bit. But you, does, do you like that trend or is it something you're... It's not really my thing, to be honest. Like the kind of movies I love and the kind of things I like to write are more kind of simple, warm, kind of like inspiring, funny experiences. You know, I think as I'm listening to you guys talk, I realize maybe why I didn't take the advanced consciousness class, even though a part of me is interested in those theories and those explorations. I think where I've come to is, is um, I guess what I like about Abraham Hicks is that it's just very simple and playful and humorous and loving and warm. And it's like, just don't take all this too seriously and don't try to figure it all out, you know? And there's a part of me that wants to figure everything out, but I can get very over intellectualized and over cerebral when I do that. And I don't know that it really serves me. And so I find myself pulling away a little bit from too much of the, let's understand the, how the quantum mechanics actually is spirituality and how it takes form and all that stuff, which, which is, like I said, it's, it's interesting, but I, I feel like Abraham would probably say, you don't have to understand or figure it all out. Just live and be happy and joyful and loving to yourself and understand you're something bigger. That's why I was like, I don't know what I really am. I don't know how it all really works. I also realize I don't, I think I don't need to know. Mm -hmm. I don't. And the only reason I want to explore things like quantum physics and stuff would be if it helps bolster my spiritual beliefs because I see, oh, here's some evidence of it. Um, but a lot of times when I delve into that stuff, it doesn't necessarily bolster my beliefs. When I hear about near-death experiences, that bolsters my belief mm -hmm. that there's something that lives beyond this body, which my reptile mind doesn't really even believe, you know, but I want to believe that. And I do believe it because of that kind of evidence. But I, I, and maybe if I read some of those books, I would feel that same way. I'd be like inspired, but that's really it. I just want to be, I just want to be uh, uh, inspired and bolstered and not, not have to think too hard. <laughs> and you know what? It's funny that you say that Eric, because in this class experience from September, which has been, just so altering and so impactful, really what we're kind of coming back around to is, is most of what you just said, which is that we don't have to understand how everything works. You know, even though we may be curious and wonder about it, we don't have to have all the answers that it is, that it is so amazing and so powerful and empowering to live in the question and in the mystery. And that really, even though we, we continue to sort of grasp you know, for words and metaphors and, and parables and Zen cones and whatever ways, you know, we can to kind of, you know, describe and convey what it is that we're experiencing, what spirituality, what consciousness, what God means to us. Ultimately, it comes down to how we feel. 
And that, you know, if it is something that feels joyful, that feels expansive, that feels loving, great. And, you know, if it's not, well, then look at why it's not and, you know, move on. So, so it just, you know, and it's, it's funny, you know, to like spend all that time and, and energy and focus and reading, you know, these different books that we've been reading, but really focusing on the quantum revelation to come back to, <clears throat> it's okay not to know. And, and that, you know, it's just, it's all about how I feel and I can't necessarily convey in words how I feel, but it's energy and that energy can be felt. And I mean, isn't what we talk about in science of mind, especially spiritual mind treatment. It's all about the passion and the energy and the faith and the conviction, you know, with which we treat that is movement of energy that is shifting of consciousness and that that doesn't have to be done out loud with words or in the same room with anyone. So, you know, you just brought it all home, Eric. <laughs> now, something else that we talk about a lot is creativity. And, and so I would love to uh, find out from you how, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I guess how creativity uh, knowing that we are, sorry, <clears throat> excuse me, that we are creative beings and everything that we're doing is creativity in action. Every thought, every word, every belief, every action, all of it, that it goes so much more beyond creativity as artistry. Um, what does creativity mean to you? And, and how, how is creativity, you know, showing up in your life? Well, I think you're right that it goes beyond, uh, you know, art, artistic creativity, but, but because I'm a writer and I write every day, that is the main place where I see it. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a screenwriter, uh, I'm teaching screenwriters, but I'm doing it myself. I sort of like split my time between the two, right? And so on my own work, it's been my single biggest teacher really in recent years about spirituality. Uh, in terms of the experimentation I do to try to have a good writing session, basically. And to me, if you really distill it down, a good writing session is one in which ideas flow that you really like in a fun, productive, prolific manner. And you're kind of writing them down and playing with them. That's a good creative, that's a good writing session. There are some writing sessions where you're like in editing critical mode and you're like, this doesn't work, let me fix that. But most of the most important part of the process is I need an idea. I need an idea for a story or I need an idea for the next scene or I need an idea for who this character really is. You're just always needing more information, basically more ideas for what's gonna be in this thing you're writing. Mm -hmm. And learned over and over again that my analytical mind doesn't create ideas and in fact gets in the way of ideas coming through so what does that mean that they come through they come from somewhere they come from some higher intelligence some something within me i'm not saying it's separate from me but i'm yep. saying a way of thinking seems to inhibit that flow and to have a good writing session i have to really shift out of my normal waking consciousness of getting things done and answering emails and having things I like and things I don't like and having a million opinions and getting into this playful, childlike, receptive, open, appreciative, loving mindset, loving toward myself, loving toward the crap I wrote yesterday as I'm rereading it that I might want to think of as crap. 
but the more I can love it and accept it, the more it's like, oh, and then there could be this, and then there could be this. Things just show up in my mind, like, oh, this, this, this. But there's plenty of writing sessions where that never happens because I never get into that consciousness. Mm. So it affirms for me what, again, the Abraham Hicks teaching, the way they talk about it is that like there's this emotional scale and you can sort of climb up the emotional scale uh, and doing it like emotion by emotion can sometimes be better than trying to leap all the way to the top from the bottom, right? And so when you're in the really high level emotional scale, everything feels so good, you're in bliss. And so I work myself into that state as best as I can. I do it for other reasons throughout the day, but I mainly do it when it's time to write because I know I'll have a miserable session and I'll hate myself the rest of the day because nothing came. I don't. And that's the way to be productive is to get out of the productive mindset, ironically, and get into that flow mindset or, or heart set, as Michael Beckwith might say, uh, where I'm not trying to make something happen. I'm not trying to figure out the next step of something. I'm relaxing and allowing and trusting that within me somewhere are great ideas. I just can't see them yet, but they tend to flow when I'm in that state. Oh, you're muted, uh, Lassia. Lass, you're muted. <laughs> Sorry, I had to clear my throat again. Um, I really like that. Get out of the productive mindset and get into the flow mindset. That, uh, yeah, I, I like that. Just to be receptive. And you keep bringing up playful and, and loving and receptive. And I just love that those, you know, are sprinkled in there as well because... It just, it feels good. It feels good. And, um, and just from my own personal experience of now writing my first book, which is my final assignment for this class, um, I'm now in a stage where I'm, re I'm, I'm going back and I'm reading everything I wrote. Because what I did for a couple of months was I would just sit down every day um, and in the morning and I would just write for half an hour. That was, my, that was my commitment. And whether it was one sentence or five pages, then um, you know I would just write sort of stream of consciousness. I had my book outline there and I would just sort of look and whatever came to mind, I would just start writing and not read anything that I had written previously. And so now I'm going back and reading stuff and it's so neat because some of it, I don't remember. Some of it has, you know, sort of like inspiring, oh, right. Then this comes in and, and now it's a different experience and sort of, I guess, a different stage of this writing for me um, because now it's kind of like, okay, out of all this that I kind of, you know, just like let flow how do I bring it all together into one, you know, cohesive, flowing kind of beginning to end piece that I can then submit as my manuscript. So there's a, there's a, for me right now, there's a different, um, this is a different experience in this stage. And, and it's almost like, you know, in that beginning stage where I was just writing, it was, it just, it was sort of very free flowing. And there were days where I'd sit down, I'm like, I, you know, nothing's really coming. So I just start writing. Um, but it was about the writing and just kind of letting it come and letting it out and, and getting it onto the page, so to speak. And now to be in sort of this organizational, um, you know, stage of it, it's different. And, and sometimes that feels a little daunting to take all of this material and put it together. Um, 
And so for me, the, the work is to not get caught up in the daunting, you know, and the potential overwhelm of it, that it's just, you know, I have, you know, this page or these pages right in front of me, and I can always chunk it down. And I don't have to go in and put it all together into a finished manuscript in this one session, um, that there still is, you know, like you say, flow, rather than focusing, you know, just only on sort of the productivity aspect. So that's a, that's a great nugget there. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's, it's, a, it's a ironic thing because I'm more productive when I'm not trying to be productive. Mm -hmm. The flow state leads to productivity. It's not that productivity isn't the ultimate goal. It's that having a mindset of, okay, I need to be productive is anathema to good creative results flowing. Yeah. Yeah, have to... Um, what you're saying sort of a bit is when we say I have to do this, if you replace it with sort of, I get to do this, you know, if you can get yourself into that mindset of, um, as you said, the, you know, the emotional scale, like f finding something to be joyful about or something gratitude to just get you in, into a more, into a lighter feeling tone that just, you know, it lifts you up, right? So um, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, the, the one book that you introduced me to through another podcast um, was the Stephen Pressfield um, War of Art book. And, and I listened to it on audiobook. So I, I bought the book and I'm going to read it because it's going to be a different experience. But his whole thing about resistance, like that's like a whole meditation on, on kind of what we're talking about, but the resistance is like manifested into this beast that finds like, it's got its claws into you every time you second guess yourself from the earliest times in your life you can remember. And for some reason, it's just got this kind of hold on you, but it only ha it only continues if you allow it to. So there's all these ways looking at it in the book. That I think that that are really helpful. Um, I think to any writer or any creator, um, just based on one on one listening and some of the things you outlined in your conversations previously. Um, but yeah, that's that kind of stuff. Any any tool that can get you um, into the creative state where it's it feels like play as a child and understand and experience this play rather than a task that has to be done you know um what is it that um last year during the conversation we had um to do was it do to get or oh oh yeah um do to get versus experience no so um uh express to express and express and receive and receive yeah which was uh, rick tamlin's mm. kind of take on it right it's just like well there's at least two different ways to do this so <laughs> find the way that is easier um even though i mean it looks like you're going in the wrong direction like you said it, you know you know you have to get certain things done but that is like the death knell of you know any productivity or just like even that word productivity it's like well now it just conjures up like Karl Marx and it's kind of like the means of production and like I'm I'm being here and this kind of thing well no 
you're doing what you love. So like get, get into the loving thing first and then just be there for a while. And, you know, you'll enjoy the experience no matter what comes out of it. Right. Yeah. I'll express to receive. I'm going to keep that. Rick's a, Rick's a very smart guy. Heine, <laughs> <I love> <laughs> um, when you said something of, um, that reminded me, I think of something that you said before about playfulness and, and about kids playing, you know, like when little kids, when they play, they're not, you know, thinking about, you know, am I playing correctly? Am I, am I playing right? I mean, they just play, they just, you know, allow their imagination and creativity to just flow through and guide them and spend hours and hours. I mean, how many times did we see, we have one daughter together, um, Eric Milana, she's 16, almost 17. And when she was younger, she, um, she, she would process her day, you know, at, at school with, in her room with, with, you know, a little class. And sometimes that class would be made up of just tissues that she'd pulled out of a tissue box and lined up in a circle. And then she'd have a storybook and she'd be, you know, talking, you know, telling the story to just these tissues or, you know, a bunch of Playmobiles or, or, you know, whatever she had in her room that was at hand that could represent, you know, students or a crowd or a collective of some kind. And she would read the story or then she would stand in front of her closet or a wall or something sort of like she was at a, at a blackboard um, and just, you know, be the teacher and, and, process her day and, and relay, you know, to like her little audience of tissues or whatever it was, what had happened, you know, and, and she had her little class that she was going on and, and it like, she could do that for hours. And, you know, like she wasn't thinking, you know, am I getting it done? Am I, am I, you know, like completing it on time? Not that say that deadlines aren't important, but she wasn't thinking in terms of like, I've got to get it done this way. It, it just, you know, within this box and these parameters sort of thing, it just, she was in the flow and it was, you know, it was so neat to watch and you almost kind of, you know, didn't want to watch it because it was almost this just like very personal, intimate, private, you know, experience that she was having, but like she had a glass door and so we could kind of like see, you know, through a little bit of the glass door. And it was just fascinating to me because, that was her world for however long it was going on. Just pure imagination at work. It was amazing. And you have, how many kids do you have, Eric? Four. Uh, four. four. And how are they, they're all teens or older? Older. Um, I have three from my previous marriage and Margaret, my wife, has one from a previous marriage. So okay. we don't have any together. And their, their age range is 20, oldest just turned 27, 21 to 27. Okay. All right. And so, okay. So then, so, I mean, if you, I guess you don't even have to think, you know, back to like when they were little or whatever, but, but as a parent, you know, like what's, what's your sort of, how do you, or no, I guess think back to you, like when they were little, what's, what's your experience of, of, you know, remembering your kids playing and, and just kind of being in the zone and, you know, is that something that, um, the, that we lose as adults and try to get back or, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think we definitely lose it. Yeah. I mean, we, we get trained into, I did anyway, and you got to be productive. Yeah. And then there are goals that you want to achieve. And in play, there's not really a goal. You're just in the experience yeah. and there's no productivity. Yeah. 
So, so then, okay. So you've talked about writing and uh, a little bit, and, um, and I know that your wife, Margaret is, is a singer songwriter and just a powerhouse of imagination and creativity and artistry in action. And I have seen you play the keyboards, um, you know, accompanying. So is music also a big part of your life? Well, I'm very much a kind of amateur hobbyist with music where she's a professional, you know, she's been yeah. a singer, songwriter, performer for 30 some years. It's kind of who she is. Music was always my kind of hobby. Mm -hmm. uh, for years I didn't play at all. But recently I picked it up again in recent years and and have taken lessons in different styles and got to the point where I could accompany her you know, on things if I practice long enough and have done yeah. a few fill in gigs like at the center where I was on keyboards. Um, and so, yeah, music was always like a big interest, but um, I considered studying it in college, um, but then I turned to to studying film instead and, and screenwriting ultimately and music took a back seat. So what was that? Was there um, a specific sort of inspiration or like a tipping point, you know, when it came to like film over music for you? How did, how did you end up going, you know, with film versus music? It's a good question. Thinking back to my like 18, 19 year old self, uh, I remember taking a sight singing and dictation class, which I didn't enjoy, but that's probably not the main reason. <laughs> I don't know. I think just film appeal more. I think I, I, I always had the, uh, you know, being a narrative writer, writing stories as opposed to just playing or writing music or songs. Uh, I think at the end of the day, when I had to really look at it, I was like, I'm more inspired to create stories and characters than, than just musical expression. I shouldn't say just, but it's just like a different to me, music. I mean, as a filmmaker, music becomes part of your film, whether you write it or someone else does. And so uh, that's cool, but to to be like a songwriter, composer, or performer somehow didn't. Uh, yeah, it's a good question to watch the best I could give. It was always kind of like, do I want to be like a fiction writer? Do I want to be like write make movies? Do I want to do music? And uh, um, and uh, yeah, the idea of story and character just seemed richer to me uh, mm -hmm. somehow. Longer form pieces with characters and I was inspired I mean I was inspired by music so by movies and books and stories that made me go wow I wish I could do that or I could write things that would have that effect on other people like this thing had on me and so the the trajectory that that you're that you have taken and that lay have sort of you know taken you on um the some of the stuff that you talk about in your bio about you know the the work that you did on band of brothers and from the earth to the moon working with tom hanks the the pitches to the broadcast networks universal hbo tnt and, and even the teaching that you do um is is all of that stuff that you that you foresaw that you envisioned for yourself or has it just been an organic process that has unfolded as you have just allowed you know for this flow to be in the flow of this creativity uh the first one <laughs> i mean it was, it was you know i was just a typical kid that wanted to make it in, in the entertainment business mm -hmm. you know moved to hollywood from ohio and uh, had a systematic approach, not knowing how it would pay off, certainly not knowing the specifics of those projects and experiences, but knowing that I wanted to become a professional screenwriter and, and, and uh, um, so taking sort of logical steps in that direction, 
the spirituality came because a uh, you know, in college, I went through kind of like kind of crisis of like, who am I kind of thing and turn into a bit of a spiritual seeker sort of through therapy when things were really not going well. And then once I was like working in Hollywood, it became a big, I use the science of mind a lot to get myself into the mindset of I can succeed at this. I can do this. There's no reason why I can't have the life I want to have. Mm-hmm. And really it was a tool to try to make it in Hollywood <laughs> almost more than anything else. And it still is in a way because I still have the same dreams. I still have the same aspirations. Uh, my career has like most people's has been down and sideways in different directions. And eventually, you know, I started teaching and stuff. Um, but the dream is always the same, which is to, you know, make stuff I love that millions of people love, uh, make stories, make mm-hmm. films or TV shows. And, um, and science of mind was the philosophy that helped me to deal with the confidence and insecurity issues that people tend to have trying to make it in a very competitive field. So that was like always my, the original main reason why I found it appealing. I can make my life better, get what I want. <laughs> uh, and of course, the more you study it, the more there's deeper other aspects to it. And the whole irony of, oh, I'm going to be more productive if I don't try to be productive. I'm going to get what I want if I'm not trying to get what I want. If I'm expressing <laughs> and receiving instead of doing to get and all that um, learning along the way. So there, you are. Not- okay, go ahead. There's an aspect of, um, with the Abraham, um, I, I, I know the material more listening to the, the kind of whatever the, workshops, the workshops on the cruises and I guess whatever recently, but, um, but when, when the thing comes up of saying, uh, where she says, oh, um, the uh, you know the example is giving given and, and then say well but Abraham that sounds so selfish and I say yes it is and that's a good thing you know because there's this aspect of like I'm enjoying being me thank you that's okay you know I don't I don't need to um, expand out into this other um, like there's this moral framework that is deliberately avoided I think and I really am intrigued by that because it's like um, you really have to like dive into your own experience in order to get the most out of it. And, and, and sometimes it appears from this perspective of others that you're like, who this person's being an asshole. Like what, why are they doing that or saying that? But sometimes you need to be able to, for example, like walk away from a person <clears throat> who is behaving in a way that is not helping them at all. And you're not going to be able to, um, do much in terms of extracting them because you're they're going to still be in their own wavelength of whatever it is they're going through so not getting attached to that is actually the best thing it's just like go and be joyful and peaceful on your own and enjoy your life um and you will have your ups and downs and you may appear to others you know that you're in distress or whatever but like you really truly have to go within in order to just uh be I lost the plot there, but it's, it's easier to just settle into the idea that um, I am who I am. And I, I, it may appear as like happenstance, like you were saying as a younger person, you know, 
it, it just all seems to unfold sort of accidentally maybe, but, but really when you get to the studying of it, it's like, well, no, certain obstacles came up because of what have, whatever my first two decades of experience were and, and who my parents were and what my peers were doing and saying. And so I just absorbed all these beliefs. So I thought that was my lot in life, but at least you kind of went on this other track of saying, um, I want to do this and I just don't know whether I want to do this version of it or this version or this version, but you're, I, you know, I, I, I'm really enjoying the book, by the way, the, the idea that I'm sure you'll talk about in a second, but um, the, it's, is, there's a certain counterintuitive aspect to it in terms of the way the book unfolds for me. Um, but it does make sense overall, but like, it, it's, it's a, it's uh, maybe you can explain this clearer than I can, but this idea in a movie, for example, there's, there's all of these obstacles and, and the, the characters have to go through, endure certain things. And like, it's all horrible really until the end, right? <laughs> Whereas in, in life, it's like, we, we tend to just think, I want it easy. I just want an easy life. I want to be left alone. Um, uh, you know, everything's good. We're all in love with each other or whatever. And it's, but yet when we go to be entertained, we want the God of it. We want this kind of person to be dragged through hell. And, you know, we want the hero's journey and we want all these, these uh, different ways of, of expressing. Um, what's Lassie doing there? She's looking at me funny. Right. Um, Talking. So is that something you want to just quickly, if you uh, go over this idea that you have, which is amazing concept i really like it the the acronym uh, oh yeah i'll hold up the book for anyone who's watching visual to get a little visual of it it's called the idea the seven elements of a viable story for screen stage or fiction Re really the basic premise is that what i've learned in my career as both a writer and as someone who like coaches writers teaches writing is that writers tend to jump into writing the script before the idea is really solid and worthy to be written and that there are teachable aspects to what makes an idea that's worth spending months and years writing, especially in the world of screenplays or TV pilots, also commercial fiction stage, which is why I mentioned that. And so I've spent a lot of time coming up with, well, what are the elements that a good idea needs to have? I know one when I see when I can tell people, here's what I think isn't worth can I put it in a format that is teachable? And so I came up with an acronym of problem because every story, like you said, is about a problem that needs to be solved. Someone's dragged through hell. And that problem, P-R-O-B-L-E-M, becomes the acronym for these seven elements. So it's punishing, relatable, original, believable, life-altering, entertaining, and meaningful. And so I have seven chapters, one on each of those that goes deep into what does that mean? How do you do that? What are the pitfalls? Um, why is it important? And, uh, um, you know, for people that are sports fans, I think that's one of the easiest analogies. You know, when you're watching, a, let's say a movie, the entertainment experience of that is not diff that different from watching a great game, like a championship game where your team, it means everything that they win. What's the most, what's the most entertaining version of that championship game? Is it one where they're ahead by 20 the whole time? If it's basketball, let's say, or football, or is it the one where they're behind and struggling and they have to come from behind at the end for a buzzer beater, let's say in basketball, to win the game. So that's obviously the more exciting version. And it's kind of the same with stories. We 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 want to have that entertainment experience that involves 
the heroes, the people we're following, having difficulty and only winning in the end, if at all. Yeah, and the the um, the other thing I just this is the part I'm on on the audiobook. Uh, as an example, you gave of the um, the two different sort of picture logline ideas when you're talking about the <clears throat> describing uh, the Finding Nemo. Hmm. Um, sort of how, how would you give those two general yeah. uh, descriptions and what sounds more uh, to a person who's going to read it and potentially produce the story into a into a, an, a cinematic experience which of those two sounds more appealing do you have that on hand or do you yeah. have it in your head or? yeah so this is about internal stake so there's two versions of like a log line or which is like a one sentence pitch of a movie one or two one is a clownfish who is overly protective of his son must learn to let go and trust him as he sends him out in the big scary world of growing up in the ocean. So that focuses on the internal journey of learning to let go and trust, which is part of that movie, but not the main part that draws people in. So the log line that focuses on the external problem is this one. When a clownfish's son is taken by a man on a fishing boat, the father embarks on an adventure through the ocean with few clues to try to find him. Meanwhile, the son tries to plot escape from the dental office aquarium he's found himself in, which looks like a death sentence. So that focuses on the external difficulties that are really fun to watch. They're like that sports game where, oh my God, are they going to win or not? Now, within all that, you have the internal journey of the son, the father learning to let go and trust and the son learning to maybe listen to his father a little more, but also whatever. They reconcile some internal stuff, but sometimes screenwriters tend to be like writing a story that's only about internal issues. And they pitch it about the internal issues and people get bored with, okay, someone has to learn to whatever, but yeah. what's the story? The story is the exciting difficulty in the outer world of experience. Yeah, and it, it I had, sorry, Lassa, just one more thing. Oh, so that's when, okay. I was, when I was listening to that, I thought the first one I thought, like I, I was kind of casually listening and I had to go back and listen to it. And the third time I went, oh, I get it now. Because the first time I thought, yeah, I'm, Al I'm, I'm Albert Brooks. I, I'm this guy. I feel that, you know, I, as a parent, I know what that feels like and whatever. And then the other descriptions finally like dropped like, no, okay. If people don't, if you have, do not, show up and they they're not certainly entertaining for other people i mean they may be for sadists i guess but um it's it's really i love that distinction because you're just you're just uh nuancing it into hey you know do you want to have this thing sold do you want to have this shared and experienced so this is how you would do it or this is how you would look at it and and, and frame it i guess you know so anyway it's i really enjoy it so Thank you. Yeah, that inner stuff makes it meaningful and deep and rich and worthwhile and better. I'm not saying take it out. It's just it can't be the main only event. Yeah. I really like that. And I I really I, I haven't listened to or read the book yet, um, but I'm going to, especially as as you know, you're talking about some of the stuff that's in there. Um, so I really, really like the way that you just kind of not so much a well I guess it was a distinction of the you know the inner and the external because when you read the external one the log line it was like oh my god I totally want to see that and I think it goes back to something that you just said a few minutes ago honey bunch where, where you were talking about people saying you know I want it easy 
And I, you know, think that there maybe is another take on that where people, you know, they may say that, but underneath really, they believe life is hard. And so when they, you know, see these movies and they're taken into these stories, they get to see the, and I mean, the are relatable, you know, they can relate. And it's like, that's me, you know, I'm Albert Brooks, just like you said, you know, or I'm, I'm Ted Lasso. I don't know. Did you watch Ted Lasso? Like, oh my God, you know, I just kept thinking about that as you were talking about, you know, the team winning or not winning and, you know, what's going to happen. And just like, you know, the entire problem acronym, that entire series. And now just like, just can't wait until July 23rd when it shows up on, on, um, you know, Apple TV season two. But that, that, you know, even though we say that, you know, I want it easy and I want to be in the flow and whatever, that for many, there is still that underlying belief of life is hard and I can't, you know, or I'm not worthy or it could never happen for me or, you know, whatever. So to be drawn into these stories and be able to relate to the main character who is overcoming these obstacles and having a life-altering experience and um and and you know having an interesting time of it i mean even the movie we watched yesterday spencer confidential was that is it yeah, yeah. um where the main character you know was just like you know he wanted to do something good but was continually coming up against obstacle, you know, and, and being beaten up like metaphorically and physically constantly. It was entertaining to watch as well. And in the end, you know, like good comes out of it. And then, you know, they leave you with, ah, clearly there's, you know, another one that could come with, you know, the next problem that shows up kind of thing. So, so I think that, you know, it's, it's also, there's that aspect, you know, it's not always like, I want it, I want it easy, but you know, I want to be entertained in this way. It's that, you know, yeah, I want it easy, but really do I believe it? And here's, you know, an example that I can relate to that sort of makes me go, hmm, you know, yes, I think I can, you know, if, if they can do it, you know, in a Pixar movie, then by golly, I can do it in my own life kind of thing. So I mean, I think that's why a lot of those Pixar movies work, right? Like they just, they speak to something, you know, deep inside of us and, and, you know, do everything, address this entire acronym problem that Eric just talked about, which is amazing. What's the M? I forget what the M was. Meaningful. Meaningful. Yes. Yeah. That is so fantastic. Thank you for that. Okay. Hey, look like, you look like you're about to say something. <laughs> no, but you, yeah, you said this is also going to be a course you're, you're doing. Is that right? Yeah. I'm just finishing up a, an, an e-course that people will take with the same name as the book that's based on the book uh, with, with a series of video lessons from me, breaking down each of the seven chapters into five lessons where there's activities where I'm really kind of asking them to take their own idea for something through a series of questions to try to make sure that they're actually achieving. Because it's easy to say, oh yeah, it needs to be punishing. It's harder to achieve it than it looks. And I work with people one-on-one -on -one all the time as a coach, but this is a way people can, you know, have a, a more of an ongoing instruction. Um, so that'll be out sometime in June. Cool. And is it when you, um, in this e-course, is it excuse me, just the recorded things, or is there going to be any kind of, you know, online platform or access to you, live questions, that kind of stuff? So, uh, good question. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, so it's a series of videos, like 40 some videos, 
each of which has a lesson that, that refers you to a workbook, which is like a hundred plus page Google doc, because you can add stuff to it as you answer and work through activities. Uh, and then in addition to that, there will be a level of the class where you get a group coaching component, where a monthly call, group call with me, where people can ask questions or pitch ideas and get my feedback live in front of you know, other students and get a recording of it later if they want. That's good. I feel like Glenn might be one of your, uh, <laughs> might be in that class. Um, okay, so so the idea, the seven elements of a viable story for screen, stage, or fiction. So if, like right now, the book that I'm writing is is more of a, a memoir. It's it's three very personal, substantial stories that, that have something to do, basically me, making up me, you know, being, being sort of the, the crux of who I was to a certain point in my life, and then what I learned and sort of, you know, kind of grew into as a result. And, and so here you're talking about screen stage or fiction. So this is, this is telling a story. This is telling it just fiction or is well, it it's primarily fiction and commercial fiction, but um, okay. but nonfiction tends to sell the best and be the most popular when it's nonfiction that reads like a story, that reads like a yeah. novel that has the same elements of story. But the nonfiction, the true story of something doesn't often have these elements that we writers impose when we're writing something fictional, but there's only so much imposing you can do in real life. So real lives that have these natural story elements in them tend to make for the most uh, you know, popular types of memoirs, you know, so I do coach people doing that sometimes, but depending on what your focus is and reason, it may or may not be able to conform to a lot of those elements. Yeah. So who are the people who are going to end up taking your course, you know, aside from Glenn? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's people that are right. People that are, that are writers that are writers at all levels, uh, especially screenwriters and fiction writers. You know, there are thousands, tens of thousands of aspiring writers out there that haven't broken in yet. My clients range from people, the first time they ever tried to write something creative to people that have sold screenplays and have big managers and agents and careers at it and are having their movies get produced or even directing movies. So it's a, you know, it's at any level of I'm grapple with coming up with my next story, my next yeah. book, my next screenplay, my next TV series idea. And I want to make sure it's good and, and, you know, has the best chance of being successful. And the stuff that you, um, that you have in the book, um, that you are talking about in your course, is this the same kind of stuff that you teach at UCLA? Yeah. I mean, I have a, t I have a course at UCLA Extension that I haven't taught in a while, um, only for my own reasons, for the, the, the time and money components of doing it. But, I, but that was a course on adapting true stories for film. Uh, and then at National University, I teach TV writing in their MFA screenwriting program, which is going to be ending soon, but I have been teaching there for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. The program is going to be ending. But, um, so I teach the TV writing track. So I teach a lot of stuff about TV writing. But yeah, these elements that are in the book are definitely overlap greatly with the stuff I'm teaching at those places. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Amazing. Heine Bunch, do you have anything else? Have you, have you switched to Zoom teaching then during this time or... I was always, well, um, the National University program, which is the one that I'm still teaching in, has always been a remote online 
program. Okay. It's a low residency program where they have two week residency in LA, but they're all over the country. So those were already done through an online form, okay. but a online form. And then the stuff I do one-on-one -on -one with people has always just been emails and phone recorded phone calls anyway. So that hasn't changed. Hmm. Yeah. I just, uh, <laughs> I don't teach in person. I mean, I could, and I mean, I, but I actually like the freedom of not having to, <laughs> what I was thinking of like putting in my CV at USC film school, cause they're like the top film school in the country. And, and I knew someone there, but then when I heard about what it, what, what it would pay and what it would take, and what it would be involved in the commute involved, I was like, why is that better than the life I have? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have the top students who had to get into USC and were had to be really great, you know, have a lot of potential. That's the one appealing factor, but there were offsetting negatives as well to that, I think, as a teacher. So, uh, so I've decided I like just being able to do it from my own home. Although you miss the interpersonal stuff in a room, there is something to that that I don't get but I'm okay with it. Maybe, maybe you just have to look at that movie adaptation and imagine yourself as Robert McKee every once in a while. Like, I, I don't need that. No. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, wow. Um, okay. So, and the other thing you, that the way I was introduced to you, uh, I mean, last year it's Global Truth Center, but the, your website, the blog, uh, the flying wrestler yeah com is it uh, yeah yeah so that's an excellent resource too because you do have that 10-day um writing tip thing and key principles yeah yeah which 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 is actually what i thought because I, I i guess i didn't read the email that said you know the idea is going to be the course but like i thought that was going to be a course of, of just you're going to expand that but even that on its own those those 10 um sort of uh mini lessons, I guess you'd call them, um, are really worthwhile. So thank you. We'll put that in the description, obviously. But so what um so you're are you still writing though, like in terms of your like you have a, a long term project on the go that you keep dipping in and out of or yeah I split my time between my teaching, consulting, coursework, whatever, with my own writing projects. So it's about half time on each. So these days I've been writing like kind of micro budget feature film, com indie film comedies with the eye toward, you know, raising the financing and, and making one, directing one. I did a short a couple of years ago, 22 minutes short that I wrote and directed and took around to film festivals and really loved directing, which I never really did professionally. So, um, I have a bunch of scripts. <laughs> I have some TV pilots too, but I have like different feature film screenplays. You know, I'm kind of like generating. Actually, Stephen Pressfield, who wrote The War of Art, somewhere he said something about writing a script in six months or two a year, a script or a project. And I was like, that's what I want to do from now on. So I've been generating every year two, basically two, two finished scripts um, for the last five years. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll make one this year. We'll see. Um, but, uh, and you know, they're also writing, like writing gigs sometimes that, that my way that I consider, um, there's one circling right now that I might do, but for the most part, I'm doing my own stuff, trying to make my own stuff. And have you ever done ghost writing? No, because that's more sort of biography type stuff, right? Uh, I think that that's the main, yeah, place where, where I hear about it, yeah, in book writing. Um, I mean, there are screenwriters that do like uncredited punch-ups and polishes on like studio movies and stuff, which you have to be very A-list 
to be hired to do that. Even if I was asked to do it, I don't know if that'd be something I would love doing. I might, you know, it's high paying, <laughs> yeah. but no. Yeah, it, it, when you have someone like Tarantino doing that, where you just notice a, a, a certain type of film and then he, you can tell he's he's been involved because someone's head is, you know, falling off or whatever. So. <laughs> yeah, okay. Sorry, I'm, I'm circling back into some other things here, but Alasia? <laughs> I, yeah, no, I just, you know, thinking that um, this has been a great conversation and I love, I love hearing more about the writing and, 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 you know, the creativity sort of like in, in that area of your life, because that is so much of, you know, what your life is all about. So honey bunch, thank you for asking all those questions. And I really, I just keep, you know, looking at this problem acronym thinking that is brilliant. And it, it just is really making me think of, even though I'm not writing a piece of fiction that, you know, there's, you know, almost everything I think is in there. And, uh, and so now I'm going to, as I'm gathering my, my content, you know, that I've sort of like allowed to flow through um, for a couple of months and I'm organizing it all, you know, just keep it sort of, you know, in, in my purview <laughs> um, as my story, you know, unfolds because it years ago, you know, it would have been a how-to book, you know, or a step-by-step -step or more of a program kind of thing. But then, what I realized over the last couple of years is the the books that I really like to read and the ones that draw me in are the ones that are read more like a story and where it just, you know, within the story, there are little nuggets or, you know, little tiny anecdotes or something like that, that, that speak personally to me and, and that sort of like, you know, you don't have to be told step by step, you know, do this, then this, then this, then this, then this, and then you will, um, just by reading and be able to being able to relate to what someone else has gone through. And, and sort of, you know, see myself in that, that that's a lot more meaningful, or has been a lot more meaningful for me um, in the last few years than a step by step uh, program per se. So, so that changed for me when, and I just thought, I just, you know, thinking about what's been going on and how far I've come and, um, you know, where I am today versus where I was, you know, three, five, 10, 40 years ago. These are the three main stories that have really, really impacted, you know, my life experience and helped to shape you know, who I have become today and being in this class for this past, you know, almost a year has been incredibly impactful as well and has ended up shaping the unfoldment of this book and this book writing experience um, and just open the door to keep it, you know, open to like everything that's coming next. So, uh, so yeah, super, super cool experience for sure. Um, Okay, Glenn, you, you, you said you were circling back. Is there anything no. else that you want to ask or add or? I don't want to go down too deep of a role, so. <clears throat> okay. All right. Well, okay. So, so, you know, it's been about an hour and a half or so. So this is probably a good place to end for today. Um, but before we do, we're going to move into our super rapid fire question round, which Glenn is going to lead. And Eric, all you have to do is just relax. <laughs> You're going to get a minute in which Glenn is going to ask you a bunch of questions. And we just want you to answer off the top of your head, no deep thought or anything. And um, it's just a, a fun way to get to know you a little bit better. So uh, Honey Bunch, let me know when you are ready. 
Ready? Um, ready and go. Okay, who is your favorite novelist? J.D. Salinger. Okay. Which do you prefer, jazz or hip hop? Jazz. Meditation or yoga? Meditation. The Wright Brothers or The Right Stuff? The Wright Brothers. Uh, movies or television? Movies. The Big Chill or The Big Sleep? The Big Chill. Kombucha or coffee? Coffee. Uh, Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm? Curb Your Enthusiasm. Directed by Alan Smithy or directed by Ed Wood? <laughs> directed by Alan Smithy. Uh, teaching or learning? Sweet or savory? Sweet. Uh, naps or massages? Massages. Ding, 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 ding. All right. Thank you, Eric. Glenn, tell Eric what he's won. Okay, we're going to circle back to this. Uh, there's that word again, that phrase. Um, talking about obstacles and whatever. In the introduction to one of my very, very favorite books, The Nature of Personal Reality, the Seth book. Um, if you like Abraham, look it up. Um, very short part here. It is talking about negative aspects of your of your experience said even obstacles have a reason for being if they are your own then it is up to you to recognize them and discover the circumstances behind their existence your conscious thoughts can be can be great clues in uncovering such obstructions you are not nearly as familiar with your own thoughts as you may imagine they can escape from you like water through your fingers, carrying with them vital nutrients that spread across the landscape of your psyche, and all too often carrying sludge and mud that clog up the channels of experience and creativity. What exists physically exists first in thought and feeling. There is no other, no other rule. As soon as you recognize this fact, you can begin at once to alter those conditions that cause you dismay or dissatisfaction. I think that ties it up to what we were talking about before. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Have, have yeah. you read Seth books? Or? Uh, I, I don't know if I ever read a complete Seth book, but I definitely read some Seth stuff a long time ago. And I know that they were a big influence on Jerry and Esther Hicks, led them on the journey to ultimately finding the yeah. handling of Abraham that she does. Yeah. Can you just hold up that book, please, and, and be clear about uh, which one it is for the oh, folks well, that, who are watching and listening? I was just reading off my phone, but this is a very, oh, very okay. old copy. Is uh, Jane Roberts, Nature of Personal Reality, Prentice. Okay. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. So, Eric, you have talked about uh, your book. You have talked about the e-course that is coming up. For people who want to find out more or get in touch with you um, for whatever reason, what is the best place for them to, or what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, just probably my website, which is called flyingwrestler.com, which okay. has info about the book and the course and other stuff, blog posts, et cetera. 
Okay. Amazing. All right. Thank you, Eric. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you for this amazing conversation. Um, just everything that has come up. I am really looking forward to, um, to listening to and, and reading your book and really appreciate some of the stuff that's come up, including this acronym for problem and um, to get out of the productive mindset and get into the flow mindset. Um, so, I mean, there was, there was other stuff too, but those are the two things that kind of, you know, stand out for me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Honey Bunch, for once again, co-steering the, the show, the ship. And thank you to everyone who tuned in, who watched, who listened, however it is that you're engaging with us. We so, so, so value and appreciate you, your time, your presence. So let us know what you think, like, subscribe, leave a comment wherever you can. And, um, and we will be back soon with another episode of Who Do You Think You Are? My name is Lassia. Glenn Sheridan has been my host. Our guest today has been Eric. Bork. Bye for now. Thanks so much. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye. This has been an episode of Who Do You Think You Are? An exploration into how our thoughts, beliefs, and feelings create our reality. My name is Lassia Kahoot, and I have been your host. My co-host has been Glenn Sheridan. We'd like to thank the following for helping make this podcast a reality. Today's special guest, Eric Bork. Music, Vasco Lorenco, copyright, 123rf.com. Background illustration, Sakma Sterke, copyright, 123rf.com. For more information on this podcast and our Lassia Kahoot Soul Excavator, please visit www.lassiakahoot.com. If you like what you've heard, please like, subscribe, and let us know by leaving a comment. Thanks for tuning in to Who Do You Think You Are?,